Aloha, and welcome to the Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe. Hope Chapel exists to grow ordinary people into faithful, productive followers of Jesus Christ, equipping them through Bible teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Today, Pastor Ralph continues in his How's Your Love Life series with a message entitled, Learn to Fight Fair. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. Tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're in verse 1. And we're talking about learning to fight fair. The the best thing you can do is just talk through problems peacefully. And and God has some information here for us. And and He's not really just talking about marriage. He's talking about life in general. But it very much applies to our marriage. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for serving the Lord, because that's what he was. Paul was in jail because he'd been preaching the gospel and he was living a life under persecution. And uh, he says, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You know, there's a, there's a, a sense in Paul's life that everywhere he was, he was where God wanted him. Even when he was in jail, he was satisfied. But I want us to think about our own life because our success in our marriage comes from understanding that we're to lead a life worthy of our calling and we have been called by God. If you are a brand new Christian, you know that on your way to accepting the Lord, there were things that were happening in your life, circumstances that were, that were drawing you toward God. There were things that you were hearing in your mind. There were things that you would read or things that would happen. You would pray and God would answer in some spectacular way. And you knew that God was calling you to Himself. But I want you to think of that calling as a calling that you walk in. That, that how do I choose now to live my life? What is God's purpose for my life? And we've been talking about uh, all year long the core five purposes for our life. I want us to begin to build our church around this idea. We've tried to reduce down what does God want for every Christian into five simple words. One is worship. That you come to know God and you have a, an ongoing worship relationship with Him. Two is fellowship. That you come into relationship with other Christians. You just don't come here and then jet out the door and, and, and say goodbye to everybody, but you make some friends and you build that into your life. Three is discipleship, where you start to say, I want to be serious about knowing God's Word because it'll change my life. It's not just something I go through the motions of. I really want to get it. Uh, the fourth thing is ministry. We're incomplete in Christ, in our calling, if we're not serving somebody somewhere. But the best thing that I can recommend right now is go on the internet, go to hopechapel.com, and look into the place that talks about ministry opportunities because there's a bunch of them in our churches. We're doing so much in the community, but there's so much more that we could be doing uh, if, if, if we have more of us in, involved growing up in the Lord. And then that, that business called evangelism. If you begin to mature in the Lord, you start to have really something to say to those people that you know around you. Not preaching at the whole world out there, but the people that you know intimately. You know, we've, We're coming through a season right now where lots and lots of people are coming to accept the Lord in our church. There'll be 18, 20. Last night there were like 9 or 10 in one night that prayed to receive the Lord. God is doing something. He's stirring. Because you guys are doing what He's asking you to do. So the, it starts out by saying, live up to your calling. Live up to what is Jesus trying to do in your life because that is the foundation now for making the marriage work. You be Jesus in that relationship. And now he says, be humble and gentle. Well, how do you, how do you make humility and gentleness uh, just a normal part of your life? Well, you, you begin to, to, to say to yourself, my partner is the most important partner in this relationship. You know, I, I get all of this sort of credit because I get up here and talk a lot. But there, there's no way that I could live my life the way I do and do the things that I do without the sacrifices that my wife makes and the investment that she makes in me. And this incredible woman 
is so patient and she's so kind and she's so gentle and she puts up with you know, so much and she invests so much in me. And I look at her and I think she's the one. She's the driver behind this thing. And when you can begin to see your spouse that way, you're going places. I saw, uh, I went to a movie set this week. They're filming a movie called 52 Kisses or something in Hawaii. And I happen to know one of the people who's one of the actors. She's five years old and she's related to me. And uh, she got a little tiny part in it. But uh, they were filming at Hei up here, and so she had to be in the water doing things. And, and so we went down there, and, and all of a sudden these two uh, big SUVs come driving up, and, and out steps Adam Sandler and Rob Schneider, these actors. And, and you, you could just see there, there were a couple hundred people standing around there, a lot of them in the production, but a lot of people just gawking, you know. And all of a sudden everything went quiet. And it's like everybody looks at these two people as so important. So, and, and everybody begins to treat them with deference. With what? Humility and gentleness. See, when you see somebody as more important than you, then you begin to treat them with humility and gentleness. I was watching Adam Sandler. The guy's a humble man. He was going around getting his picture taken with little kids. He was just, just, he was just going around like you'd think he's a politician, just being nice to everybody. Now, he was treating everybody else as though they were more important than him. They're all seeing him as the big movie star. He's seeing them as, I couldn't make it without you coming and buying the ticket. You know? So if you will begin to look at your partner, if you're dating, or you know, some of us have terrible role models. We, we grew up in homes where there was fighting and anger and hatred and viciousness all in the name of love. And we don't really know what to do. But the Bible here is giving us some, some issues and some answers. Here's what you do. Here's how you treat that person you're married to. So humble and gentle. It says, be patient with each other. Now, you know what patience means? I, I won't give you a Greek word. I'll give you my word. It means suck it up. Life is not all about you. <laughs> You know, you get into some, some difficulty, some discussion, it's not going too good, and your partner is talking, and all you're doing is waiting for them to stop talking so you can say what's wrong with what they just said. You, you know what I'm talking about? And you never really listen. You never take time to put yourself in their shoes and think it through from their viewpoint. Because if you do that, suddenly you're going to be patient with them because you're going to say, well, oh, there's some validity to what they're saying. I may not agree with everything. It may not make me the happiest camper in the world, but it's valid. And now how can we get together and compromise? Because that's the big word here, is compromise. A, a fight between a husband and wife should never be one wins and one loses because ultimately both lose when that happens. You, you take a big bite out of your marriage and you're not going to have much. We need to come to where we are willing to each one sacrifice something and, and be patient with one another and say, okay, I'm giving in to you while you're giving in to me. And we come up with something entirely new uh, and God then can bless us and work with us and do what he wants to do. He goes on to say, um, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, I, I want to tell you first that some of what you see as a fault in your partner is just that God made them unique. You know, they, they say opposites attract. We go marry somebody who's entirely different than us, and then we spend our whole life telling them why they're wrong for being that way, and they ought to be a clone of me. You know, uh, you be like I am, and we'll just get along fine. Well, so you're missing it. Those aren't faults. Those are something good that God built into that person, and you need to take it from another angle and say, what's good about this thing that I complain about so much? And maybe you'll learn to appreciate something. But then again, there are faults. Leaving, you know, dirty socks where you took them off and stuff like that. Well, that's, that's not good. That's a fault. It says, overcome the faults through love. The word love here is agape. And, and as we think about agape love, I, I heard somebody say this. You know, we've been talking about three kinds of love. Eros, which means I want something from you. And it could be physical lust, but it could be just I want your money, I want your attention, I want whatever. It's selfish love. 
And there's phileo, which is friendship, which is a, a mutual sharing. And there's agape, which says, whatever you do, I still love you. I'm going to give in to you in spite of, of who you are. Now, this friend of mine, uh, another pastor came and he said, we think you move from eros to phileo to agape. He says, that's not true. You really move from eros, which says, I want something from you, to agape, which says, I will surrender for you. And the way that you do it is you take the eros, the I want, I demand, I desire, I'm taken, you better, and all of that, and you nail it to the cross with, with, with Jesus. Jesus died to cancel out our sins. Paul says in the book of Romans, I die daily. What's he saying? I have these selfish, ungodly, I want to control everything desires, and I put them to death through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is where we get away from a teaching like this being a self-help deal. And it is something that requires that you're having an interaction with God, and the Spirit of God is there, and He's convicting you, and He's saying, you know you're wrong right now, and you're saying, I'm willing to die to myself and live for this other person. We overlook each other's faults by dying to ourselves because Jesus died for us, and, and being willing to live to that other person, and then let the Holy Spirit empower you to work it out. Let the Holy Spirit uh, comfort you in the process. And I promise you, here's what always happens. When, whenever, whenever, whenever my wife gets something going because I did something, and then she gets, she does what I say, she, she dies to herself and, and says, but I love you anyway. You know what happens to me? Now the Holy Spirit begins to put pressure on me that i got to change in that area. And, and it's ironing out the wrinkles in Ralph. Slowly, but it's working. <laughs> well, let's go on here. It says, Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. With peace. Bind yourselves together with peace. You know what we've been doing in our house lately? We get up and when we eat breakfast in the morning, we make it a point to eat together. I mean, you get into that thing where I'm busy, I'm going to grab a piece of toast and run by. But we're actually sitting down and eating together every day. And we've been taking time before we eat. Usually you pray over your food, right? And say, thank you, Lord, for the food. But we'll extend that time. And we just sit there and thank God for what, he's, what He did yesterday. What He did already this morning. The things that were stressing us out and troubling us. And, 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 and then God just came through and... And, you know, the, the person phoned and got the right answer. And, you know, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And so we take time and we, we worship the Lord together. And we, then we pray about the needs of the day. And we, and we don't take forever doing this. It's, sometimes it's, it's three to five minutes. Sometimes it'll go as long as ten minutes. At nighttime, we've been doing the same thing. You know, we'll sit together in the sofa and just thank the Lord for the day. And worship the Lord and, and, and begin to, to just, just try to honor Him. My wife is very tired. She's very weary. She comes through this uh, radiation thing for the cancer. And they say it just wastes you. Well, all through it, she just kept going. She had enough nervous energy. She kept, kept going. Now she's through it. She looks good. She's growing hair. She's totally exhausted. And then people all come running up because they love her and go, Oh, you look so good. And, oh, you must be doing great. And then she has to talk about cancer. And that, that just destroys her. So a little cue here is if you see her, say, Hi, how you doing? And don't say anything about any of that stuff because... Because she just she came home the other day just so drained. And so we were kind of praying together and, and she, she starts to, to to sing this song and she couldn't remember all the words. I knew the song too, but I couldn't remember any of the words. So I'm just sitting there and um, actually I was kinda of sitting in a chair and she just kinda of came up and sat on the coffee table in front of me and, and she was just kinda of really stressed and and I didn't know the words and I wanted to sing them with her and I knew she wanted me to sing them with her and so I, I began to hum the song. And and I could watch her face relax. 
as I began to enter into what she was doing and worshiping God. It says that you worship God and bind yourselves together with peace. Keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourself together with peace. What I think it really should read is, and you will bind yourselves together with peace. If I'm worshiping with you, it's hard to slander you. Here's the positive side to keep you out of getting into conflict. Learn to talk about things and talk peacefully and talk in the context of who you are in the Lord and His calling in your life. Is this good so far? Okay, now let's look at the negative. Go to the end of the chapter. I put up here, fight fairly. Verse 31. It says, get rid of... Now again, this this means that you surrender it to God. Here's what you do. You surrender your right to anger. Lord, I'm, I'm with a person that you made, that you love dearly. And I don't have the right to berate them. I don't have the right to tear them down. I don't have the right to destroy uh, their image of themselves, how they feel about themselves. I don't have that right. And I'm willing to die to that. See, it's something Satan tells me. I have the right to, to, to tell her how wrong she is and how right I am. And, uh, but I'm willing to die to that. I'm willing to, to give that to God and say, God, I'm willing to trust you enough that you'll work in my partner and you'll make this thing better. So it says, get rid of all bitterness. Bitterness means grudge holding. That you've been hanging on to something that somebody did and you won't forget it. You know, there's times that you get into a struggle and you go, you always do this. And then you start telling them all the times that they ever did in history. Well, you, you learn to forgive and get rid of stuff and just throw it out and just, uh, you know, put it out of your mind. You may come back as a memory, but don't bring it up in the midst of a fight. Get rid of rage. Now, this is a big one. Rage is uncontrolled anger. It's, it's hitting. It's yelling. It's calling names. Sometimes it's burning money. I used to know this woman... And she'd get mad at her husband. And so she would go out and take the credit card and just buy stuff just to get even with him and put him in a tight spot financially. And then you know what happened? He got really sick. They had tons of debt because of what she'd done. Every time she'd get in a fight, she'd go out and spend four or $500. And then he died. And guess who had to pay the bills? They caught her. You know, this whole thing of, of, of what we do to, to each other in terms of rage, threatening divorce is something that you do in rage. In other words, you let your anger get out of hand. And we know that we live in an age of rage. You know, I read that they got special traffic cops now that go around writing tickets to people who begin to display any sign of road rage in Los Angeles. They got like 40 a day. Now, it can be everything from pulling a gun and pointing it at somebody to shooting at somebody to hand gestures that you shouldn't make to putting your fist up and whatever, they'll write you a ticket for doing that in traffic. Because they're trying to get it settled down because they know if it keeps getting out of control, then they'll be reaching in the glove box for the gun more often. But see, we live in an age where actually people experience rage in their marriage and they see it as a norm and it's not supposed to be. God says get rid of it. And so if you're a person who's yelling every time that you get in a disagreement, you need to nail that to the cross. You need to give that over to Jesus. If you're a person who hits your spouse or, you know, sometimes you see women and they got bruises on both arms because some guys grabbed them and pinched them and, and whatever. If you're doing those kind of things, you need to go seek help. You need to go and talk to some Christian brothers or, or somebody and, and start to get yourself counseled through this kind of a thing. If you're threatening divorce every time that you get in a fight, I know a pastor, who would every, he, his wife would call me because every time that things would get out of hand, about every two, three months, he'd be say, well, I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to be out of here. Well, my goodness, he's, what would he do to the church and to the whole thing, you know? And uh, he, he got some help, and he's doing great. But that was rage. You don't do those kind of things. They're off limits. Let's go further. Harsh words. Words like this. 
You always do this to me. You're forever making me feel like this. Take, take that one and spin it around. Do it just this way. You don't want to avoid the fact they did something you don't like. Just, just learn to say it this way. When you do this, I feel this. Because they're not intending to make you feel the way they, that you feel. They're just doing what they do. You know? I didn't take out the trash this weekend. So now we got a trash can full of smelly stuff. I just plain forgot. And we didn't even have any discussion about it. It's my job to do it. I didn't do it. I forgot it. And she's cool about it. But see, there's that way of saying, you always do this. You always, you know, no, no. If you'll say it this way, whenever you do this, I feel bad. Whenever you do this, I feel hurt. Whenever you do this, I, I get angry. Now, what are you doing? You're saying, I'm responsible for my feelings, not you. You're not putting that on the other person. Because they didn't have the motive to make you mad. They might have forgotten something. They had, to, they had a, a better motive than that. And you don't go imputing motives on them. So don't say harsh words at people. Here's another one. Slander. You're just like your mother. You're just like your stupid brother. Your whole family, you're all just alike. Or we get into the racial thing. You know, we start to, all of you people are just alike. And, and you know, you, 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 that's off limits. That's off limits. Don't do slander. Don't, don't tear people down. Uh, tear at their personality. Tear at their heritage. It says get rid of that as well as all kinds of malicious behavior. Malicious behavior is, is like when you, you, do, you do crazy things. You know, you try to get even with somebody. You go around the house and break something because you got mad at somebody. Just get rid of all of that. That doesn't belong anywhere in, in, a, in a fight. You can have a fight. The best way to have a fight is have it calmly, quietly, without accusation, without threats. But you, what you do now is you stopped having a fight and you had a discussion. Because that's what we're trying to get to. is to where we're not fighting. We're actually having discussions. You'll see people that are in the process of getting this. And they'll start to say, well, we, got in a f- well, we had a discussion. Or we had a heated discussion. What's that, what's that mean? They're learning to do what it says here. They're learning first to start out in the calling that you have in Christ. And then they're learning, secondly, to get over in this business of, of, of getting rid of the anger and the problems and the terrible stuff and whatever goes on. And, and then it says, instead, you should be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And then it roots it in Jesus Christ, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Folks, again, you, you can go listen to Dr. Phil all day long, or whatever. And you're going to get a bunch of, 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 of good stuff, a bunch of good advice. But, the, but, but then it's dependent upon you to do it. It's dependent upon you to do it. But see, if you're willing to suit yourself up with Jesus and allow the Holy Spirit to work through you, this is the Word of God. He says, be tender-hearted, be kind to each other, and be forgiving, just as Christ has forgiven you. And, and so it all still comes back to Jesus. It all still comes back to your relationship with the Lord. It comes back to, He did this for me so much. He died on that cross for me. I mean, think about it. We're going to get ready. We're going to do a, a study in the book of John. We're going to, you know, I'm tired of this. We're going to do eight weeks of this and all that kind of stuff. We'll go back and we'll do some of that later. But we're just going to do a study through John. You know, I, I got it. We're going to just, the, the book of John is pretty long. It's the gospel. It gets you close to Jesus. And we're going to talk about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Really getting to know the Lord and 
I, I, you know, it's just going to be a meandering study. We're just going to go through John, and we're going to take our time and get through John. It might take 20 weeks, you know. We're just going to get through the Gospel of John and try to get to know Jesus better, try to get to know the Holy Spirit better, try to get to know the Father better. But John starts out saying, Jesus is the Word of God to us. Jesus is everything God is made available to us so that we would know that God wasn't mad at us, that we would know that God loved us and cared for us. That's why you read the Gospels. You see the miracles that Jesus did. Now you know He can do those for you. But the Son of God allowed Himself to be crucified by a bunch of people who hated Him. God who never sinned went that far for us. And it allowed us to have forgiveness. And so He says, just as Christ has brought forgiveness to you, now you bring forgiveness in your marriage. And when you will begin to operate on that plane and let the Spirit of God be the leader inside of your heart, now you've got something that's way more powerful than Dr. Phil. Because now you're not just having to do this on your own and swallow your pride. Now you're in a place where God can work through you, God can breathe through you, God can do good stuff through you. Does that make make sense? I think I'm going to quit. There's a third part to this. I think I'm going to quit because it's, it's, it kind of leaves you on a negative note. You can go look at the scriptures later or talk about them in mini church. Let me, let me briefly tell you what they're all about. Don't, don't even turn there. Don't even turn there. It's a part where it says, if you've got a problem with somebody, go to them. Tell them and tell them privately. Well, that's good. But if they won't listen to you, then take a couple other people. Well, here's how I think this works out in a church situation. You've got some Christian friends. Bring them into the thing. You know, in, in many churches. I was in many churches not too long ago, and, and some people were having a problem in their marriage, and they just opened up to the, to the rest of the people that were there, and, and, and they got so much help and so much support, and sometimes we're so scared to do that. See, we haven't grown from the, the purpose of worship into the purpose of fellowship, and so we get in a fight, and we're getting a struggle, and we don't know what in the heck to do, and then we don't, we, don't, we don't go anywhere with it. Bring some Christian friends into it. Or, you know, that might embarrass your spouse. Oh, you know, why'd you tell them, you know? But you're going to find love. You're going to find grace. You're going to find yourself growing together. This is important to stuff like mini church and what have you. And then it says, and here's the negative part that I didn't want to get into reading. It says if that person won't listen to you, then take it to the leaders of the church and you know go deal with them. Well, what's that all about? Well, some of us are, are in a situation where uh, maybe the marriage got real intractable. One spouse is into adultery. They're fooling around with somebody else besides you. And they're not going to repent. Well, then you go and deal with the church leadership. Let them talk to you. Maybe you're married to somebody that's beating you around and nothing's changing well then you go and you talk to you, you take it at that level higher maybe you're married to somebody that's doing you know crystal meth or something you, you, you go and you, you you're going to have to deal with it you've got to protect your children you've got to protect what God gave you and so if you get to that point where nothing's working then, then you go do that thing that Matthew talks about there in Matthew's gospel but I want to come back to these last words in Ephesians that we just looked at in Ephesians 4 it says, be kind to each other, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Folks, again, this, this whole thing, our coming together, is, is, it, is it comes around what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, I know churches that get so centered on the pastor. The pastor is everything. Or they get so centered on the music. The music is so wonderful. That doesn't get you very far. I'm just a man. I can get up here and tell funny stories and 
And sometimes I say some, you know, there's some wisdom. But really, what we're here for is the Holy Spirit to be in this room and to take the words from this book that God caused to be written down so long ago and to drive them deep into your heart. That's really what it's about. It's not, it's not about Ralph Moore or something. It's not about being Hope Chapel. It's about the Spirit of the Lord working inside of you. And the best advice I can give you about fighting fairly is, is be kind and gentle and tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. If you can keep that in mind while you're, while you're looking at somebody that you're supposed to love, and you're really upset with them right now, but you let Jesus be the ideal in your life, and the answer in your life, you will change. You will change. You will change. I promise you that you will change. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel Kaneohe.